Hey, football fans, this is Diana Rossini from The Athletic. Get the top stories in pro football snapped directly to your inbox with our latest NFL newsletter, Scoop City. Jacob Robinson and I will bring you the daily scoop of top NFL articles, posts, and podcasts every Monday to Friday. Sign up for free now at theathletic.com backslash scoop. Hey, what's up, everyone? This is not the normal introduction. That's because I just did an introduction when I broke down Washington's preseason opener with Grant Paulson. But I forgot to mention in that introduction that I also have an interview here with Robert Mays, our uh, the host of The Athletic's uh, football podcast, who did a great uh, feature story on Ryan Fitzpatrick. Robert and I talked earlier today. I'm going to play that interview after Grant and I talk about Washington's preseason opener. I wanted you to know that because I didn't mention that. Now you know. Let's go. All right, welcome to a post-game edition of the Standing Room Only podcast. Ben Standing here. The Washington football team just played its preseason opener against New England Patriots. They lost 22-13. to Obviously, the, the, the results in terms of the score, not that relevant, but it was kind of interesting at the end. What was relevant is everything that happened in between, and here to, or here to discuss this with me, none other than Mr. 106.7, the fan himself, Grant Paulson. Uh, GP... We saw football. I'm not one of those people who goes, oh, my God, I can't wait. I got to see football. I got to see football. But it was fun to see football. It was an enjoyable game. I think we saw some good things on both sides of the ball. Nothing overly dramatic either direction. But I think there were some positives to work, to look at. But you tell me what, what stood out to you in the first game that we've seen uh, with the Washington football team this year. Yeah, I mean, it was a great to have football. It was awesome to have fans in the stands. I mean, everybody getting amped up when Mac Jones came in, I thought was pretty cool. And with every completion he threw and pass he threw, Patriots fans were uh, more excited than anything I think we saw in, in, in at least Washington games last year because there weren't a whole lot of fans. Um, they weren't allowed at FedEx and, and at a lot of stadiums they played at. So that stood out. But you know, specific to preseason game one, I mean, rattling off just a handful of observations. I thought both quarterbacks, Fitzpatrick and Heineke, played really well. I liked what I saw from both of them a lot. Fitz looked like a starter and like what you want your starter to look like, who's been in the league for 16 years, playing in a preseason game, passed to McLaurin on his first throw of the night. You know, the the uh, touch little fade ball to the sideline on the corner route to Logan Thomas back shoulder was as beautiful as it gets. And it's kind of Aaron Rodgers-ish. That was cool to see. And then I liked Heineke's mobility and extension of the plays and some of the stuff we saw from him December, January last year carried over, which was encouraging for me in terms of, uh, you know, wanting him to be someone who gives me comfort as a, a number two, a backup, a guy that could come in second quarter and week one or two, if need be. And, and the bottom doesn't fall out. So I liked how both of those guys looked, um, well, well, just you to, know, we, we can just get into to, a lot of other things, but let's start there. Yeah. Yeah. So just to stay there, I think what's interesting about both of these guys, I mean, obviously I've been out of practice every day and, you know, people always want to know how they look, how they look. And it's like, well, what do you want me to tell you exactly? The defense isn't hitting them. Uh, you know, they, they're wearing the yellow jerseys, you know, there's no tackling. So everything is, it's sort of a facsimile of what we're expecting to see, but in both of these players, like there are some quarterbacks who within that structure would look amazing. They're throwing the ball perfectly. They they work very well in that sort of basic structure of, of of a practice. But these two guys, I think particularly Heineke, but really kind of both of them, are better almost off script when you don't really quite know what's going to happen. Um, Fitzpatrick, in part because he's so he's such a veteran, he's smart, he can see what the defense is going to do and react to that. And with Heineke, it's more of the draw the script up in the play kind of situation. You see that with the mobility where he rolls out a little bit um, and, and, you know, they can sort of make plays where, where sort of nothing exists. And I think with Heineke in particular, we saw more of that. I have to remind people on Twitter who get overly crazy that he was working up against the backups, just like he was the case back in OTAs and mini camp and even most of training camp. Whereas Fitzpatrick is going up against the starters. That's fine. Not, 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 not knocking the performance, just putting that into some context, but I did think both of them looked better not or, or or look good, not better necessarily than what we've seen in training camp, certainly with Fitzpatrick, but with Heineke, I thought so because I just think the game format is that sounds weird, is almost a better fit for his style than a, a formal practice. So I, I totally agree with that. I was actually talking to a buddy 
uh, texting with them during the game. And, and I kind of made that exact point, which is the, the times where he impresses me the most and or I have my closest thing to like a, this guy might be able to do this moment with him is almost always where he's off schedule and where he creates while extending the play. Uh, there was one specific play where he got out of the pocket on a third down and ran around a little bit. And then he approached the line of scrimmage and he lofted the ball downfield going right to left. And it was when uh, I think it was Jared Patterson, the running back came uh, falling back toward him and laid out with a really nice catch for a first down. That was a, just an awesome play from the quarterback. Um, but that kind of thing, you know, you might see some of that in practice, but you see less of it, as you said, than you will in a game. So I think your observation is hundred percent true about him in that regard. I, I think you have to contextualize with playing against backups. I know people don't like hearing that, but it just is what it is. It's part of the conversation. Um, and we've seen a lot of quarterbacks play really well in the preseason and it, it just doesn't translate or mean a whole lot. To me, it means a little bit more for him because you know, the last time we saw him play, he was delivering his masterpiece, if you will, against the Tampa Bay Bucks. So um, I liked what I saw from him. You know, Fitz is the starter. Fitz should be the starter. Fitz did nothing to make you think anything other than uh, he could have a, a lot of success throwing the ball uh, for this team this year. I kind of like just where they're at as a passing game. I think they've got weapons. I liked what I saw from De'Ami Brown made a nice catch kind of reaching across his body, caught a nice ball on a slant from Heineke as well. Logan Thomas, the, the one ball he was targeted on down the field, the, the big catch he made uh, looked like some good camaraderie between Fitzpatrick and McLaurin. So I like a lot about this passing game. Humphreys made a, a really nice uh, play on a, a good route and a good catch on a third down. Uh, he fell on another third down where he could have moved the sticks, but I think he'll play more and maybe see more targets than people think he's going to early this year um, as a guy who's worked with Fitz before. So I feel pretty good about the passing game, the upside moving forward. Yeah. I mean, so, and that's the thing, right? Like I'm trying to, as we all are I'm trying to process this in real time, um, you know, it, it's not always easy, even for a regular game, you're trying to watch 20 things. And in this case, it's not like you're watching the same players, more or less the whole game. The, the starters played the first two series on both sides of the ball. And then from there, it was a constant swirl of substitutions. And so you're trying to figure out who's in the game and can you process who's who's in the game for the other team? And, and what does that mean? Um, so on and so on. Um, so part of the part of the dynamic here is figuring out not just how well people played, but also kind of who played, right? Because that's part of what we're all trying to also guess who's actually going to be beyond this team. I think on the offense, a couple of things stood out. Um, one, so the, the, the first two series, it was basically Terry McLaurin and Cam Sims as the top two receivers, but it was a lot of three receiver sets with Adam Humphreys, that third guy, that was the, the group there with Logan Thomas at tight end and John Bates coming in some for some two tight end sets. So Bates as the second tight end was notable when the three receivers left, it was more or less Deami Brown and Deandre Carter with some Steven Sims as well, Gandy, Antonio Gandy Golden didn't come in until later. Same with Kelvin Harmon. So we can note, uh, we can note that as well as the fact that Tamara Hemingway was more or less the third tight end, followed by Ricky Seals Jones. We did get a little bit of Samus Reyes as as well. Um, the offensive line was as expected, though Eric Flowers did work some with the ones, and Sam Cosme basically played the entire first half, as did Jamin Davis on the other side of the ball. Rivera wanted to give his top two rookies plenty of work in their first preseason game and, and, and work they, 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 they did, did, but on the offensive side, um, you know, again, a lot of who's playing and, and where, when they're playing is a big factor, especially with the receivers as we contemplate the punt returner situation, Deandre Carter was the lead there. Any of that stand out uh, to you? Do you like formula one, but struggle to keep up with everything that's going on? then we have the podcast for you. Introducing the Race F1 Briefing, the podcast that brings you the latest F1 headlines in 15 minutes or less. With new episodes dropping on all four days of every race event, you'll never miss out on hearing what went down in practice, qualifying or the Grand Prix itself. And we'll also bring you all the behind the scenes news and gossip from the F1 paddock as well. 
If that sounds like the F1 podcast for you, search The Race F1 Briefing in your podcast app of choice. We'd love to have you join us. First thing I would say is that from a punt returning standpoint, I think every time they returned a punt, they had 15 or 20 yards of open space before anybody got near any of their return men. I thought they were really productive on special teams in that regard for all the issues they had at converting field goals. Um, I try not to, I, I understand the exercise and I think what you're doing is correct in terms of they started the preseason this way for a reason, right? Um, however, I think I care a lot more about like the rotation in the third preseason game. We're not there yet. So we can't talk about that. Sure. But like, to me, you know, what you've been seeing in practice was what they were going to do. And so there aren't necessarily surprises in that regard. I think though, at least how I would do it, game reps would matter the most to me and then practice reps after. So I say that to say the, you know, when a guy plays well, like the Brown showed something, Cam Sims didn't really get much of an opportunity at all. It's not that he didn't do anything, but I would like to now see, and I think you could see the Ami Brown opposite McLaurin with Humphreys potentially like next week. And, and does that change anything? I'm not sure. Um, so that, that's, I guess, something I'm moderately interested in in terms of a competition there, but uh, big picture. I think if I'm going to take anything out of the rotational stuff you just got into, I would say it would be Carter as the first guy to get a crack, you know, returning a punt. Um, because I do think that spots up for grabs. And I think wide receiver six is probably your punt returner. I think that's, in my opinion, how it would work out. Don't you? Like there, there's the five guys, right? There's McLaurin, uh, just randomly, Deami Brown, Curtis Samuel, Adam Humphreys, uh, Cam Sims. Cam Sims. And then the sixth competition of kind of everyone else from, um, you know, Carter to Steven Sims to AGG to Dax Milne to you, you name it. I mean, so I think your your fourth, excuse me, your sixth wide receiver, the last guy in there is probably your punt returner. I mean, everyone but AGG that I just named, I think, returned to punt tonight, right? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I still will will assume that they're not going to cut the fourth round pick that the Ron Rivera regime drafted a year ago meaning Antonio Gandy-Golden, but he did drop. I, I don't know if it was a drop technically, but he didn't come up with a catch um, on a potential game-time two-point conversion in the final 90 seconds after uh, the, the, the improbable 92-yard drive uh, for a touchdown by Steven Montez. Uh, almost tied the game. Um, he threw a touchdown pass to Lamar Miller, but then the pass to Gandy-Golden came up, uh, didn't convert. Uh, so, yes, we have more on, time. Let me ask you this. Hold on, hold on. So you think he's like Sharpie? He's in? No, no, I'm just saying I, these punt returners would have to be really, I really have to worry about letting one of these punt returners leave for me to cut my fourth round pick from last year. If that, if I'm only so, going to keep okay, six. But then, then let me ask you this. What's the chance they keep a seventh guy? Then they would keep AGG as the sixth and then the punt returner as the seventh. So as a guy who I know reads every article that I write and listens to all my podcasts, I'm sure you've already heard me say this. But um, my 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 secret master plan would be if you can't figure out a way to keep seven, you know, with the with the practice squad rules as they are, where you can bring somebody off two weeks without having to expose them to waivers, you can put them back to the practice squad. I, I would release all the other receivers, whoever whoever clears waivers, which would presumably be almost all of them, throw them on the practice squad. I pick one of them to come up the first two weeks. By the time I have to make a call in the third week, something else will happen, and then that player just stays. Um, that would be one way to avoid it. Now, of course, you can just keep seven, but uh, that would be my my thought versus I, I have to imagine if Gandy Golden gets cut, somebody's going to pick him off waivers. A year ago, he was a fourth-round pick. Somebody out there is going to be, of course, I'm going to take a shot on that guy. So, I you know. Think so I guess my question is, you keep him then in that case because he was in the fourth round and almost for no other reason, right? Because – he has shown, and I'm, I was a big fan of his coming out of Liberty. Don't get me wrong. He's shown almost nothing at this level. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, it's been uh, it, it's been a quiet start, and we can talk more about him later on because we didn't get to see a ton here. He did work with basically with Stephen Montez, so he's not out there with the top guys, and that's part of the point. He, you know, they did have put these other guys ahead of him, so that may say something about his peculiar, and that probably says he does need to 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 pick it up a bit. So we'll have to see how it goes. 
over the over the final couple of weeks. Um, you mentioned the punt returners. Carter had a good punt return. Dax Milne had a good punt return. Um, you know, and Danny Johnson on the kick return at least had one. I thought that was reasonable. So you know, some guys there did did some good things. And yeah, they're gonna have that's gonna be a fun a fun wonder here as we uh as we go forward. Um, let me ask you about everybody's favorite player right now, Jared Patterson. Uh, you know, it was all Vegas took the line off the off the board as to would Jared Patterson become everybody's favorite preseason darling because that was so obvious that that was going to happen. And right. he didn't he didn't disappoint with, with some with some nice runs. He he evades defenders. He you know you, you watch him out there and you just think somebody let their kid on the field. How what's going on? And he he's he's knocking people around and he's making plays and all that stuff. Um, we also saw Peyton Barber get a one yard touchdown as Peyton Barber want is want to do. He also got stopped on a third and one. I, I guess I remain of the world where I just would imagine that Jared Patterson lands on the practice squad because he wasn't a drafted free agent. Um, you know, I, I would imagine he could clear waivers and you could go that route. But at the same point, I don't think, I think Peyton, the, the third running back spot is, is somewhat open. The question is why would you keep Patterson or, or like, what's the role he's playing? If he's not, you know, Barber, we know what his role would be. What would Patterson's role be or somebody else's role? Lamar Miller did catch a touchdown pass. Um, so I think it was fun to see Patterson and I'm excited to see where this goes. I'm not after tonight putting him in the 53, but my mind has been open this whole time and, and remains so. Yeah. So I would have given him very little chance having only seen a couple of, uh, workouts to this point, uh, being at, you know, the event at FedEx field and, and limited capacity. Um, but having said that, I, I'm absolutely very much open to the possibility that he makes the roster after tonight you know, not just based on this performance, but here's what I'm thinking. You say, what's the role? I think it's a good question. He's a better pass catcher than Peyton Barber. Um, can he run in short yardage? I would have liked to have seen them try to give him that and one at the end zone. If he could be their short yardage guy, which is really the only role Peyton Barber has on this team. You've got McKissick as your pass catching back. You've got Gibson as your first and second down, kind of between the tackles guy who's capable maybe of taking on a bigger role as a pass catcher anyway. Barber's only real contribution, if you go back to last year, was and one, you know, third and one, fourth and one, short yardage. And I thought he did it really well, and I thought he got a bad rap, largely, from a lot of people that complain about you know, his yards per carry and things like that when he's facing eight-man boxes at one of the highest rates in the league according to next-gen stats, and I thought he had a good season. So I have no problem, by the way, if they keep Peyton Barber as their and one guy as their third back. But if that's something that Patterson can do, we've seen small guys do that at times. I mean, years ago here, they used, I think, Rock Cartwright in that role, and Maurice Jones-Drew was really good, and they kind of get low and, you know, can use their, their squatty kind of body lean and, and fall forward that could work. Um, he's a, I, here's why I like him. I thought he has awesome hands. He's got great feet and he's shifty. Obviously he was such a soft receiver of the football with his hands, a couple of passes tonight. And then he had the athletic, ridiculous, awesome diving catch that I talked about earlier on the extended play from Heineke. So if he's able to both run and catch, then he could be a backup to McKissick. He could be a backup to, um, Gibson, my, my two questions would be, number one, how would he be in short yardage? Because that's the, the, the barber role that you'd be replacing. And then number two, pass protection, because you can't be a pass catching, kind of passing down back, helping fill in the void of a McKissick if he were to go down or something, uh, if you can't help pick up blitzes and take on oncoming rushers. And normally, if you're an inexperienced neophyte like he is, that's not a strength. So I need to see more on those two things, but I really, really liked what I saw a lot. And I was ready to kind of poke fun at the whole, everyone loves him. He's Lake Seastrunk thing. But, uh, but I was really intrigued. Lake Seastrunk. He's your random running back over mentioned over like a Marcus Mason or a Marcus Mac Mason, Brown. Sutton McCullough, Mac Brown, <laughs> Nehemiah Broughton. I mean, the, the Chad Dukes, the, not the one I've worked with, but uh, the, the Chad Dukes that was on the team. Uh, the list goes on and on. <laughs> um, how about anybody else? I mean, like I said, ultimately, you know, there's only so much we can take from the starters. They only played, you know, more or less a couple of series. Anybody else stand out to you? Obviously, there was no Montez Sweat. He was out with an illness, which is not supposed to be COVID-related from what I'm told. 
Matt Ioannidis was out kind of as expected. Casey Twohill was out, so it meant more work for some of the young defensive linemen like a Shaka Tony and a William Bradley King. Um, you know, Curtis Samuel's still out, so we did mention some of the other receivers ha- had a chance there. And we also could mention Sam Cosme, starting right tackle, second-round pick, basically played the entire first half. Um, any of any any of those guys, particularly anybody we're not really expected to be talking about or, or we're curious about, um, jumped out? Yeah, a couple of things I would say. Number one on Cosme, uh, I came out of the game feeling pretty good about him. I want to go back and watch closer. I only locked in on him specifically. Like you said, there's just so much to watch. There are a few plays where I wanted to really say, okay, let me see what he does here. Um, there are a few times where he got put on skates, as you'd expect for a, a young tackle, but by and large held his own, I thought really, really well, and was not a liability. You know, you're looking to be assignment sound and not give up anything major. You don't want to get a running back blown up or a quarterback drilled. You don't want to get embarrassed and, basically have uh, what happened to Tampa Bay. I mean, to uh, new England's left tackle happened to you on the, on the chase young hit on Cam Newton, where you just get exposed on an Island and nothing like that happened. So I, I thought that was a huge success for him. One other guy I was really interested to watch and I've never really thought he was going to make the team, but I just, I'm fascinated by him and his story with Sam Reyes, And he had the two kind of fighting of the football popcorn catches where it wasn't clean. Um, and it just shows, you know, he's a project. This is a work in progress. Uh, he's a guy I'd love to get on the practice squad to continue to, to develop. Um, but he's so big and so fast and his feet work in a way at that size that is just not normal. So I am continually enamored with him and tonight didn't change that. I know some people will kind of, uh, maybe not love that he quote unquote, almost dropped a couple passes, but uh, he did make catches and one of them was ultra athletic on the sideline. And on the other, he ran someone over after the catch. So uh, I thought that was interesting to finally see him get on the field. We've been hearing about him since the spring right after the draft. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 the backup pass rushers, I think is interesting. I mean, James Smith Williams Rivera basically said is going to be in, not just like on the team, but like sort of in the rotation effectively as the third defensive end behind Young and Sweat, um, again, I have to, like you said, I have to go watch the tape to see kind of what he did tonight. But William Bradley King and Shaka Tony and Casey Tuhill, like if they only keep eight defensive linemen, maybe only one of those three makes it. Uh, you know, saw a note of Shaka Tony at some point ma- making a, a play or two. I thought William Bradley King has been the, the better guy in practice. Uh, but, the, you know, to me, that that's going to be really interesting because, you know, again, there's no obvious backup. And tonight's a, a good example of what we have all been wondering, right? Last year, you had Ryan Kerrigan to be able to come in when Chase Young missed time last year. Obviously, this is not a real game and maybe Sweat could have played through whatever this illness is. But at the same point, he's not there. And you had to start a guy who was a seventh round pick last year who didn't even play a ton um, to, to, to start at defensive end. So, you know, uh, interesting to see if, I, you know, they seem to be content with what they have. It'll be interesting to see if this experience leads them to wonder, uh, maybe should we consider a veteran or are we, in fact, cool with these uh, with these kids? Yeah, I'm really surprised that this is the route they've chosen to go. I thought they had a great offseason, and I was kind of in lockstep with them on, I don't know, 90% of what they did. We batted about 900 on how I liked their moves. But uh, – I'm stunned they don't have a proven at some point, you know, guy who's had four and a half or five sacks or something type pass rusher or someone who could get you those totals as a third guy off the bench. I'll lock Kerrigan last year. Who's a veteran in this league who can stop the run. I think they could still do that. Like that guy's going to come available. Someone like that's going to be cut and maybe they'll sign them, but they're talking as if that's not their plan and that they like these seventh rounders, the two this year, the one last year um, a lot. So we'll see if they end up, you know, putting their actions where their words are. I did not notice any of those three guys really enough or at all tonight to make any observation. I will say that I, I saw Tony a couple of times just looking down and, and, you know, looking at the roster, who's this number, what's this number uh, a couple more times. than I saw the other guys, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. That's kind of a jury still out thing, but I do think that, it's very possible they get to the end of camp and they decide they need to bring in a third pass rusher who can help them get to the quarterback. 
I just think that the idea of going into the season with Young and Sweat, who granted are young and play a high percentage of the snaps, and nobody behind them that has any, you know, skins on the wall or whatever the, the saying would be, notches on the belt is it's a little bit ballsy, man. It's it's a curious thing. Uh, so I'll be interested to see if they either see enough this preseason or if they go in a different direction. Um, here's one thing that that happened that Ron Rivera, I believe, post game said he was not concerned about. Good for him, I guess, but it'll be interesting to see because we're talking about Dustin Hopkins missing two field goals. Now it's preseason; it's a new long sna- a new long snapper with the rookie Cameron Cheeseman and all that, but Hopkins, you know, was a bit inconsistent last year relative to his norm. They didn't bring in another kicker. Um, Rivera's talked a lot about competition, but I've noted that there was no second kicker and no other long snapper, and it was just letting those guys kind of do their thing, and it is only one game and all that stuff, but, you know, when kickers miss, especially when they had some misses last year, people get anxious and nervous. I'm guessing Rivera's not there yet, but I'm guessing a lot of people in the fan base are. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, a lot of people wanted Hopkins out last year. Um, I thought that would have been a terrible decision in season. I was adamant and vocal very publicly that you shouldn't move on from him. He ended up making, I think, 14 of his final 15 kicks last season down the stretch and getting his act together um, on the hot seat. So it worked out. I think they even reworked his deal or gave him an extension or something, didn't they, this offseason? That's more your department (laughs) than mine. Um, but I think, you know, they gave him some type of vote of confidence. Uh, so they're not going to replace him this week. They're not going to, uh, you know, I don't think do anything other than maybe challenge him. I would consider, though, having a second kicker. I mean, I, I you know, this is not a knock on Dustin Hopkins, but I think you should have two kickers at every camp. I, I don't understand why they wouldn't have uh, after some of the inconsistency early last year and bringing someone in just to, you know, compete with him and push him is probably a good thing, but he's got a track record, you know, fans there, it's all recency effect and it's all now, 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 you know, what's the, what have you done for me lately? And so they don't like hearing this and they'll roll their eyes and they'll get upset. But I mean, he has a track record for many years before uh, some struggles. And again, he finished strong last year, second half of the year uh, where he's proven he's got a big leg and he's a good kicker, but if you continue to miss kicks, you're going to be out of a gig. It's, it's just, it's good for him that Rivera came out and said that because he very easily could have said something that, you know, started the shot clock, so to speak on bringing someone in for a competition or warming his seat to the point where it kind of fueled the the fan narrative, but to pour cold water on it is good news for Hopkins. If that's what he did after the game. Right. For sure. Um, all right. I got to get you out of here so I can go finish work and you can go to bed. Any final takeaways anything we didn't discuss i mean ultimately like i said i just think by and large this went as decently as being realistic as far as we know there were no injuries of note um the the, the, we mentioned the quarter both quarterbacks looked fine some of the rookies made some nice plays um you know where the where we wanted to see some competition we did and you know the things that were the gaffes the mistakes Okay, I mean that's what the first preseason game is all is all about, and you know you kind of go from there. I don't think anything today told me they're going to go ten and six or six and ten or sorry ten and seven or seven and ten or anything or whatever else. Um, but that's okay. That's not the point of a first preseason game. And even if they'd won today thirty-one to zero, it would be insane to say you know look out they're going to the Super Bowl. So I think everything you know by and large it was like a good drive, you know, a solid drive off the tee. I think they did a reasonable job. I think Rivera's will be happy, and there's enough for him to uh, tell guys, Hey, you guys aren't that perfect. We got work to do. I totally agree with all of that. I mean, I guess my summary would be, or my closing point would be number one. The only thing really at the end of all of this that I care about is that you don't lose key contributors. And to our knowledge, nobody got hurt tonight that they're expecting to be a substantial contributor this year. So that's the first check mark for me. And maybe even the last one, um, if you want to get into the actual gameplay, I leave this game thinking Fitz played well and looked comfortable in the offense, which I liked. I expected for a veteran of his caliber and smarts, but that's good to see better than the alternative. And I feel better about Taylor Heineke than I thought I would go into bed tonight. So, you know, that's the most important position. Those are the two guys I care about. And uh, it was great to see Chase Young do something awesome as well. I mean, that's always nice 
know, he has to have a huge year. I thought he was really good as a rookie. You know, I think since he's played, it's almost like the, the chase young, uh, like figure is, is almost gotten larger, maybe even in the performance last year. Um, if people talking about him as a defensive player of the year, you know, he's going to, he was awesome. He was great. He deserved to make the pro bowl and he deserved to be a rookie of the year defensively. Um, but to be a player of the year, he's going to have to be, you know, almost twice as productive probably statistically as he was last year. And there's, it's, there's a lot of expectations. So to see him come out and make the play that he did with his unbelievable skill set and be a game changing kind of special athlete and, and hit Cam Newton the way he did and get the ball out was awesome. So that was neat as well. I thought. Uh, absolutely. All right. Uh, you know, I feel stupid telling people go listen to Grant Paulson on 1067 the fan. Obviously, you're doing that Monday to Friday uh in the, in the afternoon anyway, but go listen and go listen again, especially if you're one of those people that has one of these like you have like these ratings boxes. That's always good. I, I hear I don't know. You you want you want more of those people listening. Anything else you need to anything else we need to promote, mention about the show, about anything you want to discuss with your life. You, you know, I know the Nats aren't helping your, your off season or your uh your summer. Anything else we need to mention? Uh, nobody wants to talk about the Nats right now or hear me complain about them. Juan Soto's the best. I'll say that. Uh, my dog is a French bulldog. She snores loudly, so I'll throw that out there. And uh, was snoring at the beginning of this uh, podcast, so I had to leave her side. So if anyone heard a weird noise, you can go back and listen. It might have been her snoring. Um, that's about all I got. Uh, yeah, Check out the uh, show, 2 to 6.30, only four-and-a-half-hour show in town. We do it every single day on The Fan, me and Danny Ruye, and uh, Twitter. At Grant H. Paulson is where you can find me or scream at me or whatever you want to do. Grant, I definitely appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk, man. All right. See you, buddy. Be well. All right. Joining us here on the podcast, he is back for a triumphant return uh, to discuss his Ryan Fitzpatrick feature and a little bit about the how Fitzpatrick's going to help the Washington football team this year. He is, of course, Robert Mays, Robert is you are on the road to to somewhere. How uh, how are we doing in this uh, NFL preseason? Are you just like is this your life now? You're you're here, you're there, you're everywhere. I'm on a highway in Indiana, going to Panthers Colts uh, training camp practice. Typically, when people are like, "Sorry, I really don't have ten minutes today," I'm like, "You're lying. You absolutely do." Today is one of those days where I have to do an interview from the car like a jerk because I really don't have ten minutes. So it's been fun. It's been a really fun trip. I got home last night, spent one glorious night in my bed, and got to see my dog. And now we're back to Indianapolis today. <laughs> well, I mean, this is the time of year. You got you got to put in you got to put in that kind of leg work, and you obviously did that with this Ryan Fitzpatrick story, and that's what we want to to get to here. And I encourage everybody to go read this on the Athletic. You can go check out on the Washington page or or the main page on the athletics, depending on when you, uh, when, when you check it. And it's obviously, there's a lot to, to dive into with Ryan Fitzpatrick's, not just his career, but his life and what makes him so interesting. And I don't want to step on the article too much so people can, can go read it. But I guess just for you, here's something I guess inside baseball, I guess, is that so, so far with us in, in camp, Ryan Fitzpatrick, while he's done the basic press conferences, he has not really done a one-on-one interview with the locals. And the sense I have is, He's been around in the league for so long. He knows people around the league, national reporters and others like yourself, who he's like, I'm good. I know who I want to kind of talk to. And that's it. And, and he, who he feels comfortable with, I guess, on some level. Clearly, you're one of those people. And, and it's interesting to, 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 to have that type of uh, uh, context and, and, and connection with him. What, what for you? There's so much to dive into with the story, with his life, what for you kind of just stands out, jumps out to you as you, as you wrote this? Well, he and I did not know each other before I did this, actually. Oh, really? I know some people, I know some people he works with. Oh, okay, gotcha. Uh, So that was one of those things where I reached out to them, and um, he really doesn't like doing media. He just doesn't, he is, one of the big things about him is he very much likes to compartmentalize. And when he is away from football, he is away from football. And that means not a lot of interviews in downtime. So this was the one thing he wanted to do, and I sincerely appreciate that he did it with me. But I, the thing that stuck out to me, I think, was how just him watching him as a dad was really interesting. I mean, watching a father make breakfast for seven kids 
uh, is something I will never forget for the rest of my life. Uh, and it was an incredible just assembly line of production with him and his wife getting all of that food out, which I, that'll stick with me. And then I think in the conversations, there, there are two things. One, it'll just be the way his teammates love him. And, and every guy I talk to, every coach I talk to, so much of it just couldn't get in there because it's such a breadth of his life and experience just was willing to pick up the phone and willing to talk about him and have stories about him. And he just has this real ease of self-confidence and self-assuredness. And it, Brandon Marshall describes it to me in a way I thought. He said, some guys are big and strong or have big arms. The Ryan Fitzpatrick can talk to anyone. It's a skill, it's a talent, a gift. And it allows him to connect with everyone. And he just was able to really understand what young players needed whether that was Ryan Griffin getting reps with in the two-minute drill when he was in Tampa, which a third-string quarterback typically wouldn't get. Or in Miami, he went and worked on the scout team with Mike Kosicki because Kosicki just had no confidence when he got there. They had two terrible years on offense under Adam Gates, so he described those guys as wounded animals, some of the young players on those teams. And he just said, i got to go show these guys they can do it. I'm going to tell them, if you have a one-on-one, I'm going to throw you the ball. And when you keep doing it, they start believing they can do it. So just feeling why tangibly guys believe in him, why he's a good quarterback for young players, it just really let me in and gave me a window into a lot of the things that maybe you would guess about Ryan Fitzpatrick, but I got to understand at a more nuanced level. But by, the way, by the way, I don't want to gloss over. You, you mentioned the breakfast for seven kids. The the uh, you did this at his uh, home in Arizona, I believe. If I had this correct, not he, they have not one dishwasher, not two dishwashers, three dishwashers. Two were inside, I think one and outside. Just as an example of the type of you know army <laughs> level of, of like feeding the troops aspect that you have here. That I mean, that's just an off the charts uh, scenario. That and obviously to have that, I mean, you know, to have to. I mean, obviously his wife is, you know, the one dealing with this more to some degree than he is. But like the, the discipline that you have to have to 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 run that, and also the patience that you have to have with all all these these little kids around. I mean, it seems like it kind of plays into what he deals with in the NFL, where he's constantly shifting from team to team. He has to learn new people. He has to learn patience, how to deal with all kinds of different people, um, as, as often as the new guy. And I would imagine like these things kind of you know bleed into each other. It, it was funny that I, I said that to him. I was like, in my hacky sports writer way, I'm going to make this comparison to all the kids. Because we talked about being a parent to seven kids and why he wanted to keep having kids. And he just like, every single one of them is different. And I can't imagine my life without any single one of them now. And it makes me want to keep having kids. And because you have to kind of take this different approach with each kid and learn them and learn what makes them tick, learn what they're interested in and how to interact with them and how to raise them, it's not dissimilar to having to learn new teammates. You're really learning what makes them tick. I was really interested in whether he had a system for learning new offenses. And when you get a place and you don't know the vocabulary, because this is my football brain, and this guy, is, he's really, he's like, that's not a thing. He's like, I, that stuff comes easily. He's like, it's learning the teammates. That is something that requires time spent. But I do think the nimbleness in his personal life puts him on better footing to accomplish that than maybe you or I. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For for I, I totally uh but yes, definitely for me. I totally get I totally get that. Um a pebble in the uh, you know, a pebble in the road can throw me off and clearly very little is throwing him off um <laughs> with with what he uh with what he needs to accomplish. Um so everybody go read the story about Ryan Fitzpatrick and his his journey, his life, a lot about my what happened with Miami Last year was really interesting, um, you know, because obviously he, he, he has some really good moments. They bench him for, for two at Sunga Viola, and, you know, one thing leads to another, and eventually he's a free agent and comes to here. And you were telling me on the side that, you know, some of the, some of the Washington components of your conversation with him just didn't have the space uh, to, to get it in there. Um, but you had some thoughts as to kind of Fitzpatrick, why the fit, how did this sort of all come to be? So I'll just turn it over. To, to you on that, what 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 did you kind of uh, what did you kind of glean from him about uh, you know how this all kind of worked out? Well, at first I, I talked to some people there, at least one person, a couple people there about why they wanted to sign him. 
because when you're looking at their situation and where they are in the franchise and where they want to go after last season, they really believe that bringing him in as the quarterback made their team the best possible version of it in 2021 based on who else was available without trading a ton of draft capital, right? Like, I think this team would have traded for Matthew Stafford if they could have. But with that off the table, they looked at the free agent options and said, this is the best guy for us right now, I think for two reasons. One, they believe that he's playing the best football of his career. And he explained to me why that was possible. He thinks that he really took a turn when he worked in Houston with George Godsey and Bill Bryan about how he understood defensive football and controlling protections and everything in that New England system. And then he eventually goes on and plays in Tampa where he has this freewheeling mentality and everything else. It's this convergence of all these factors. And he truly believes he's playing better than he ever has because he understands the league and himself. And Washington believes that. They looked at the numbers and said, this guy, these efficiency numbers are real in our opinion. We do think he's playing the best that he's ever played. So that was part of it. I think the other part of it is he's a really, really good quarterback for young players because of what we talked about, his ability to really cultivate confidence in guys, give them opportunities, be a North Star in terms of how to comport yourself in the locker room, being that influence that I think is a really, really good thing for a young roster the same way it was in Miami. This team is in the same place, and he said that to me. He said, I was the only guy on the team over 30 in Miami. Washington is really similar, and I think he takes great pleasure in being able to shepherd the careers of these younger guys. And it's a little bit different just because Washington's trajectory is on the upswing where Miami was totally tearing it down, but I do think there are enough similarities that both him and the team could get excited about the influence and just the presence he would be within that locker room. And then the last part I thought was so interesting he, he told me he needs autonomy and a little bit of freedom within the offense. He can't just be somebody where you say, this is the play call, this is what you do. He needs the ability to change some things. He needs the ability to signal some routes to guys. Just having some flexibility. And this offense is so expansive. Because if you think about the history of it, you have North Turner running this thing with Troy Aikman and eventually with Cam Newton. And it looks completely different through those lenses. And I think because of all the hallways this thing has, he told me that he can kind of pick stuff a la carte that makes him comfortable. So I think a lot of different factors. He didn't know Scott Turner at all. They have no relationship, which is rare, I think, when a quarterback at this stage of his career makes a decision. But I think the overall appeal of the offense is that there was going to be something in it that made him comfortable. Yeah, and I I noted that part about the uh, having some autonomy, and that's going to be interesting to see, right? Scott Turner's in his second year as a coordinator. You know, there can there can be, you know, egos ego clashes. He Scott Turner obviously wants to show what what he can do, but part of that is especially if you have higher aspirations of being a coordinator, being a coach like his dad is also figuring out how to get the best out of everybody, how to how to collaborate, and obviously giving a guy like Ryan Fitzpatrick some autonomy is potentially one of those things. And I think Scott Turner, look, like you said, Stafford was the, was the, was the goal. It didn't work out that they landed on Fitzpatrick. I think Scott Turner has got to be ecstatic because last year, you know, goes without saying they didn't have much at all at the way a quarterback and, and me saying they didn't have much at all as being kind to what the reality was, especially when Haskins was in there incredibly limited from a playbook perspective, Alex Smith limited just from like, he can't move around the pocket and th- neither one of them is throwing the ball up the field. Fitzpatrick will open up the playbook significantly and allow Scott Turner to be the aggressive self. So wh- however they figure out the, 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 the push and the pull of autonomy, things like that, at a minimum, he's going to be able to, expand the playbook and do a lot more things. And that will be great for guys like Terry McLaurin, Curtis Samuel, once he gets in there and so on. I mean, it's a functional offense. Now think back to how much better the offense looked with Taylor Heineke, even for the small stretches that he played in last year. And now you have Taylor Heineke with a computer in his brain, essentially we had a guy like Ryan Fitzpatrick. <laughs> right. I, I just think that it, what it allows you to do and, and just the different places that can take you, you don't have a robot back there playing quarterback that just cannot move and is a statue. And, I mean, it's not Alex Smith's fault, right? I mean, there's, at that stage with himself physically, there was just no way he could do the things he needed to do to get that offense even to a functional place. And Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to throw the ball to the other team every once in a while. 
that is going to happen. Everyone concedes that, including him. But he's going to be aggressive, and he's going to give his guys opportunities because he thinks that's the way that you should play quarterback, and he thinks that's the way to get the most out of those young guys because it's a symbol and a declaration that you believe in them. And I think at this stage of their franchise, even if he throws 15 picks and they're the 18th best offense in the NFL, I think the growth you'll see from the young core they have on offense is worth whatever drawbacks might come from Ryan Fitzpatrick being your quarterback. Right, and that, and that's the that's what's so interesting also is, on the one hand, I have people saying to me, yeah, you know, I, I think everybody's excited to see the Fitz magic aspect of this, the the uncertainty in both directions, the wild ride this could be, and he's obviously a lot of fun as your story points out, a great teammate, and I think that's going to translate for the fans as well. Simultaneously, there's a reason why he's bounced around as much as he has, that he that he has rarely been viewed as the guy that a team wants to uh, to build around, and while a lot of the praise is in part because it was a terrible quarterback situation last year and he is an upgrade over that which is different than saying ryan fitzpatrick takes washington to another level i know we talked a few weeks ago about this but now you've had time to talk to fitzpatrick and others around the league and i'm sure you've had time to you know formulate more thoughts on the other teams in the nfc east what do you think is the realistic goal and expectation for ryan fitzpatrick the individual as well as the guy who's going to lead this team possibly you know potentially into the playoffs but you know we'll see if you look at the last three seasons, his play with Tampa in 2018 and then his last two years in Miami, Ryan Fitzpatrick ranks 14th in EPA per play among quarterbacks. If he is that guy, if he is the 14th most efficient quarterback in the NFL with Washington, and they can be the 15th best offense in football, and their defense can be what we all expect it to be, I don't think they're going to be this world-shattering defense. I think there are still too many questions about how they're going to evolve schematically from last year, what happens in some of the corner spots. I, I still think that with, even if that, even with those caveats, I still think they are a top five-ish unit, top five to eight. If that happens with an average offense, the team can win the NFC. I mean, the, the Cowboys offense, it's really easy to get excited about, but we talked about it on our show. I think there's still questions about how it looks, just the nuts and bolts of it, and Zach Prescott's health. I mean, that, that's a huge question mark. So, I don't think this team is a Super Bowl contender with Ryan Fitzpatrick, but I absolutely think they're significantly better than they were a year ago. And I would not be at all surprised if they were to win the division or even sneak in as one of those wild card teams. How, how hilarious! I don't know what you thought, but that that tweet from the Cowboys uh, ha, uh, team um, Twitter handle last night that says, "No reason to be alarmed. It's not it a big really deal." Funny. But Dak Prescott's going to get an MRI. <laughs> what? What is that? What did you make of that? It's, I mean, it, it's really, really frustrating, I'm sure. I mean, that's the one of those times it's like, you're saying too much. Like, just just don't do that. Like, that by saying that, you're making it worse. So I saw him yesterday. I was at pra- uh, Cowboys practice yesterday, which I have no idea what day it is or what state I'm in. But I was at Cowboys practice yesterday afternoon, and he was throwing a little bit, but not a lot. So I think it's encouraging that he's able to throw a football, but it's discouraging that it was all short yardage, it was all during individual, and then he left practice after the first, like, 20% of it was over. So that's definitely something worth paying attention to. And if that team does falter even a little bit offensively, I think their defense is still going to be pretty bad, and I think that really opens the door for Washington to potentially be a team that can claim that division for real, in a real year where a sub-500 record isn't good enough to win it. Gotcha, yeah. No, it's, it's, it's a fascinating. I mean, the Giants have a lot of questions, obviously, at their quarterback. I'm, I'm, at least in my head, I'm sort of putting the Eagles out of the NFC East contention. So, yeah, if Dak, is not, if Dak isn't right, uh, that definitely could open up the door for Washington, despite what looks like a pretty tough schedule, especially uh, early on in the season. Um, Robert, before I let you go, uh, anything else about this team? I mean, you uh, – you, but I haven't necessarily, I'm sure, been focusing on Washington per se because you've been doing 20 other things. But anything for you that sort of is top of mind with this team? Or I don't know if you got any wonders for me about what's been going on in practice or things along those lines? I mean, I've had a conversation about them with a couple different people. I think they expect really big things from Logan Thomas this year. I mean, obviously, he got a lot of work last season. But this is a guy now, I think, that 
you're going to see what that difference in quarterback play means for him. And we talk about confidence and Patrick's ability to instill that. I think what happened with him last season and him really flourishing in that role and getting that deal and believing he can play the position, I think he's going to be a really solid tight end for them this year. And they're excited about De'Ami Brown. I mean, this is a guy that a lot of people thought maybe a fringe first-round, second-round pick. They get him in the third round, and even if he's just a role player this year that gets scattered time, I think he's such a fascinating element to drop into that offense. I don't know how good the offense is going to be in Washington this year. I know that I am very excited to watch it. I just think there's so many pieces on that team that are exciting. And to see Terry McLaurin with very real like NFL-caliber quarterback play, I mean, this is all stuff that I'm looking forward to. I mean, they could realistically put out there, not realistically, they can put out there a scenario where Antonio Gibson is the running back. The receivers are Terry McLaurin, De'Ami Brown outside, Curtis Samuel in the slot with Logan Thomas at tight end. The idea that, that those guys with a Fitzpatrick, a quarterback, is, is out there considering the lack of options they've had on offense the last couple of years and the you know the, the, the relative incompetence at quarterback, or at least not enough players who could you know really move the needle, it really will be wild to see them look aggressive and potentially really good at times. But yeah, the, the, the ups and downs of it all is really where it's going to be interesting to see you know what they can do on a consistent basis um but if nothing else it will be a lot more fun because of the guy you wrote about ryan fitzpatrick so everybody go read robert's story up on the athletic on ryan fitzpatrick's journey and how he and his view and how and why he's such an interesting guy and teammate uh robert i appreciate it from the 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 talk from the road drive safe have fun in uh indy sounds good man i appreciate the time always good to chat with you Awesome, man. I appreciate it. Good. I hope it sounded okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, you're, 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 you're good. All, all, all good. I mean, you know, people are used to radio interviews. It, it sounded, sounded fine to me. Um, yeah, right, awesome. That sounds great. Yeah, no, the Deami Brown hype, I think, is definitely for real. So we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's a fun player. I think we'll see what happens. I also think it's interesting that I think their offensive line is going to look a lot better with Fitz back there. How quickly he gets rid of the ball and all that stuff, like. I think they could be good. I mean, again, if he throws 20 picks, I wouldn't be surprised. But I still think it's so much better than what they had last year. So, see how it goes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, man. We'll drive safe. We'll talk soon. Sounds good. See you later. See ya.